Hey guys, welcome back to Talk To Me Sister podcast, season two. If you're new to the pod, we're twin sisters and a ton has happened since last season. I'm a cancer survivor. Kathy had my baby. The baby's here, happy and healthy. Yes, and we're advocates for women's health and we're going to cover a lot of topics this season. So thanks for following along. Uh, hey. Hi. 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 We did it. I know Thank you. We did it. We did it. We can't see your face, but we're so excited to have you here, Sissy. Um, I'm so grateful that I uh, got to be a part of Daystar Camps. And like I said already, they are such an important aspect for kids' lives. They was important for my life and my husband's life and to have a community and a safe place. And we're excited to have Sissy here. And Sissy is a licensed professional counselor and the director of child and adolescent counseling at Daystar Counseling Ministry in Nashville, Tennessee, where she works alongside her counseling assistant and pet therapist, her pup, Lucy, who's so cute. <laughs> Since 1993, she's been helping girls and their parents find confidence in who they are. She's a sought-after speaker for parenting events and the author of 12 books. Is that right? It is. It just yeah. makes me sound old, y'all. No, no. it doesn't. <laughs> but that includes the best-selling Raising Worry-Free Girls, which is like my Bible right now, um, and yes. Braver, Stronger, Smarter, which is for elementary-age girls, and and then Brave, which is for teens. All of those books are incredible. Sissy also has her own podcast called Raising Boys and Girls. And you can find more information and resources at RaisingBoysAndGirls.com and on Instagram at Sissy Golf. And all that will be in the show notes. Sissy, thank you for being here. Oh, y'all, it's so fun to get to talk to you. I know. Well, we love you so much. Kathy obviously did Daystar and I've known you for a long time and we're in awe of you and we can't wait to just pick your brain and have you tell us all the knowledge because we both have girls. Obviously, John Ryder's, you know, small, but I will have a boy and they're so different, boys and girls. They're so different. So different. different. Both of our girls are firstborn too, which is why we have questions about like the leadership versus the bossiness. We're going to talk about that. Yes. Yeah, no, ladies. Love them, love them, love them. But we got to shape them up. Um, Yes. And by the way, I'm in awe of y'all. I just think y'all are both rock stars. So impressed and honored to get to spend time with you. Thank you, sis. This is so fun. Yeah. Um, So before we get into all our questions, because we have so many, Sissy, will you tell us just a little bit about yourself and what encouraged you to get into this line of work in general? Mm, That's a good question. So I think you said I've been a counselor since 1993 when I did an internship through grad school at Vanderbilt. I mean, I was at Vanderbilt in grad school and did an internship at Daystar. And, you know, I think, honestly, I really am old enough that counseling wasn't much of a thing when I was growing up. I mean, I did not know a soul in counseling and maybe there were a few people who were, but no one talked about it. And I mean, honestly, this is so silly and y'all aren't even probably going to know what the show is, but the only person I even had in the sphere of what I do was a character on days of our lives named Marlena. And she was a child psychologist. And I just thought it sounded so cool. Okay, good. That makes me feel our grandmother. Right. Our grandmother listens to every episode, so she no. loves days of our lives. Uh-huh. So shout out. That to is him. so. Now we do have to say I'm not your grandmother's age, just to clarify. Oh no, 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 no. 
no. I was about to say, she that, was that, a different one. That ages the show, I think. Yeah, how yes, long it's totally. Been it's been around forever. Long. Yeah, she's all of our lives. Um, but you know, like I even remember in college, I had a couple of friends, not like my best friends, but friends in my sorority who disappeared for a semester and they, I'm sure they either had debilitating anxiety or they had an eating disorder or something like that. And no one ever even acknowledged it. They just showed back up and we all pretended like nothing happened. So it just was a different world. But I think what, honestly, I think what I did y'all is I think I probably set out to be who I wish I'd had in my life. Mm. Um, I've just, I mean, I, I was a kid who, I was, I mean, y'all talking about bossy versus leader. I mean, I just was a leader in a lot of different aspects of my life, different organizations and things and volunteered and, you know, just trying to be, I was firstborn only for a long time, trying to be a good kid. And yeah. I think I smiled all the time. Still, people would say I do. And I I wish somebody had said, sissy, nobody smiles all the time. Like just mm-hmm. tried to go a little deeper with me. Right. And like so, it's okay to be sad. It's okay. Yes. You know, which is thankfully in our vocabulary now for our kids. Right. You know, yes, to, exactly. You know, thank goodness for people like you to guide us as parents to say like, okay, we need to let them feel this, you know, yes. all of these emotions. Yes. You guys yeah, talk about think, that on Instagram. And yeah. I do think like in our day and age in the last like several years, it's become more open to say, raise your hand when you're not well, you know, I feel like that's like a cultural movement. That's been really nice. Like you were saying, sissy, like, you know, even several years ago, it was like taboo to say, it's like maybe people are more open to talking about it, but I mean, no one's really talking about it with children as much. So I think, and I do what you're doing is our mom too was encouraging for us to say when we're, you know, not okay. And we were in, you know, encouraged to do therapy if we needed it, but we had like major life events, like where our our dad died. So it was like, it was like, where, when do you need, do you need, you know, it was navigating childhood grief was like something she was like, how do I, I'm grieving as an adult, but how is my four-year-old grieving? Right. Yeah. But like kids who don't have huge monumental like losses or something that's like, oh, we need to make sure this kid's in therapy, you know, usually didn't get it. Yes. Whereas now it's starting to be different. I had a a conversation with a mom not long ago and I loved what she said. She said, you know, I, my child said, why are we coming today, sir? And I said, here's the deal. You, our job as your parents is to build your team. And we've got somebody who's in your life to help with your physical health. That's your doctor. We've got people who are helping with your cognitive health at school. And of course, we're going to have people who are helping with your emotional health. So it doesn't mean anything's wrong. We're just building a really great team for you. I mean, what a beautiful statement. It's a beautiful statement. That's so important. Such an important picture to paint. Because it's not like something's wrong. It's just we're just taking care of your mental health. We need to do that as adults, too. That's important. Yes amazing i'm like so should we lay down on our couch in here (laughs) (laughs) Uh, okay i love that um okay so i kind of have a first question about ruthie my daughter she's seven years old she's just like the most incredible human on the face of the planet i think i'm obviously biased Mm. because i'm her mom she's the best (laughs) she's love her so much brilliant and with that brilliance comes some you know hyper awareness and she's very nervous about the weather. And, um, we in 2020 and this, you probably, uh, hopefully so many kids are coming after like 
COVID and the fears of that. But in 2020, Nashville had that huge tornado that yes. killed people and the weather was crazy for weeks. And we didn't, we were in the path of the tornado, but of course she heard about it. And then we had these wind storms that um, were just terrifying. So anyway, now for like two weeks after, like she wouldn't even walk to the car, even Bless if it was sunny. Heart. Oh, no. If there was wind at all, even if it was sunny, she would... well, y'all had a really bad night where you, the whole family, sat in the tub, and it was like yeah. the house was both feeling like yeah, our roof had to be repaired. Yeah, yeah. So it was like that moment. I feel like uh-huh. that was like her trigger, like where she it was, was. It was, fearful. and you know, she's really good about. Uh, we've done a lot of things on the uh, in the book, and I'm going to share just with listeners like what <laughs> she's done really good at navigating her emotions, and she'll tell me when she's feeling worried. She tells me when she's feeling sad, and she comes up with things to help her feel better. Um, but that's great. Yeah. And she is, she's really good at navigating that, but she like, she'll make a list now of the things that help her feel happy. She knows that like distractions help her. So she'll go, let's play a game. Like, can you come in the closet with me and like do art? She's made a look art station at storm closet. Um, and there's one in your book too, that like when she's at school, if she's works, they have tornado drills. They have active shooter drills. Like they have drills that make kids like so scary. Has that too. It's like, terrifying. Oh, but, yes. But there's one in there that says if you if you're feeling anxious at school, she can excuse herself and go to the bathroom and run cold water over her hands just to kind yeah. of like take herself out. So she does that, which is really sweet. Like, I was I do that. Yeah, it's, it's a good cold one. water on my face, but yeah, I try my hands. Yeah. <laughs> um, <sighs> but is there anything else that like you would? And oh, another thing is she knows her boundaries. So if she hears anything that sounds like the news, whether it's the news on our TV, if it's a, like talk radio, even a commercial, but something like not news related, she'll say, "Mom, can you turn this off, please?" And so she, we would, we have no news in our house because she mm. won't do it. So clearly, we have a lot of work to do. We need to sign up to come see you. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> people that haven't read your book, what are some things? Like, what are some lists of things that, you know, a child could do or the parent can help the child do that's suffering like Ruthie or maybe like doesn't want to leave the house or has these triggers? Right. And specifically Uh, like exposure therapy you talk about in your book where like you slowly are, you know, doing some things like that, getting exposed to the weather or whatever the listeners are experiencing is a fear, you know? Yes. Yeah. Well, so I, we were talking before this started, but I'm working on a new book and it's actually for the parent because if as a parent you have anxiety, your kids are seven times more likely to have it. And so most of the time when I sit with kids, their parents are anxious too. And I think, you know, we yeah. with everything, we've got to start with ourselves. And mm-hmm. and it's interesting because I've been doing, I mean, I have, I don't even know how much research I've done about anxiety at this point, but Out of the more recent books I've been reading, one of the sentences that keeps coming up is that anxiety is always searching for context, Mm -hmm. which I think is so interesting. And I think it's so true. I mean, what what I experience with kids is, I mean, like you were saying at the beginning, it's always the kids who are really bright, conscientious, care. I mean, I'm at the point where if I sit with a family and they're first born as a daughter, I just think she's going to have anxiety. Statistically, we're at one in three kids. Girls are twice as likely, but I think oldest girls are 100% as likely. And so what happens is it's kind of either the scariest thing they can imagine happening or it's something they've experienced that then they go back to. So it's like anxiety scans and it finds something and it locks onto it. And so, you know, if a child has been in a scary storm, it makes so much sense. And it's why with parents, I say, I mean, so many parents will say to me they never had anxiety until they had kids. I mean, obviously, that's your context, the scariest thing at whatever age you are. And so 
anyway, the thing with it searching for context is it's never really about the context. And so that's why I love what y'all are talking. I mean, the exposure therapy, there's so many practical things that we can do. And the same tools work, whatever context the anxiety manifests. So here are, these are my first three things that I would say to any family. This is like three months of counseling for okay. folks who are okay. listening of where I would start very quickly. Amazing. So for any of us, you know, when we're sitting here having a rational conversation or you're just in your, you know, in a good non-anxious space, we have blood flowing all throughout our brain, including going to the prefrontal cortex that helps us think rationally and manage our emotions. Mm -hmm. When we get anxious, our blood flow shifts and it leaves that part of our brain and it goes to the amygdala. That's the fight, flight, sometimes freeze region of our brain, which is why parents say to me in my office all the time, they're like a crazy person when I get to when they get to this place. Like I can't talk to them. There's no reasoning exactly because that part of their brain's not even getting blood. Yeah. It's like it's gone offline. And so until we can calm their little bodies down, there's nothing they can do that's going to help. No amount of tools, no amount of trying to soothe them and really just either deep breathing or movement. And so I do what's called box or square breathing a lot with kids in my office. They can draw anything really with their. So I have them draw something on their leg with their finger like a square. And with each line of the square, they breathe a different way. And then they pause in the corner for four seconds. I mean, mm -hmm. so like breathe in for four seconds, the first line, pause for four seconds, breathe out for four seconds, pause for four seconds. And I'm doing it with and, you. Oh, good. Out. Yeah. So 20 seconds of deep breathing resets the amygdala. Mm. Now, for some kids, we they're going to be like, I don't want to breathe, you know, because they've yeah. already, they're already too far That's down the, the road. road. Right. Right. And with those kids, we usually need to get them to move. Go run a lap around the house, run up and down the stairs three times. Something like that where we calm their bodies down through exercise. And then we can get them to go back to the breathing. But We've always got to calm their bodies down before we're going to get to a healthier place. I mean, even consequences, things like that. I mean, it, if it's not anxiety and your child's just angry, they've shifted to their amygdala. And so no amount of conversation helps. And so oh, we start yeah. with breathing. Then, you know, what the way I talk about it with kids in my office is it's like the one loop roller coaster at the fair and whatever they're afraid of, you know, for your daughter, it's the storm. And all of a sudden the storm's popped into her mind and all she's picturing is the roof coming off and the house collapsing and bad things happening to all of you, you know, and she right. can't get out of that loop until something pulls her out. And so there's a cognitive behavioral therapy. There are techniques called grounding techniques. And so once we calm the body down, then we want to use a grounding technique. And, you know, I mean, if you're anxious, you are not in the present moment. You're either in the past or you're in the future predicting what's going to happen that's terrible, worst case scenario. So we want to bring you back to the present moment and anything sensory related brings you back. So mm. my favorite one that's in the book is five, four, three, two, one, where we, I have them picture and I, I practice in my office in calm moments with them. So they get it down, but five things they see, four things they hear, three things they feel not emotionally, but from a tactile sense, two okay. things they smell, one thing they taste and the, and you can do it in any order. I get it mixed up all the time. Um, but that's really helpful. Or, you know, say you're in the car and driving to a birthday party that they're anxious about. Tell me everything you see that's the color blue or tell mm -hmm. me every word that you can think of that starts with an R or with high school kids. I'll have them 
count backwards from a hundred by sevens, which is, you know, requires oh. focus for any of us. Yeah, yeah, that's like, what, I'm like, wait, <laughs> wow, that's great. Cause yeah, I, I can see gotcha. how all of that would bring you back kind of to your body and out of your head kind of, right? Exactly. Right. Which is running cold water over your hands. Like you mm-hmm. were talking about. It's the same. That's a grounding technique. Mm-hmm. So anything like that. that and then the, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It you cannot me. count backwards by sevens. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and then I the third that. is always somehow giving a name to their worry. I just, I got a little letter. I was writing a little girl back this morning who named hers gloop. Her worry monster is what we call it in the oh beginning. Or sometimes so kids attach to that. I know. So funny. I have another girl who named hers Bob. I don't know why. But to come up loop. with some, oh. I know, to come up with some kind of name for the worry, you know, anytime we name something, it's kind of the, the brilliance of AA and the 12 step movement. Anytime we name something, it reduces its power. Mm. And so to give it a name separates that voice in their heads that any of us, the voice in our head, we believe is true until we can separate it out. And so it moves it outside of them. So then they can fight it. They can be aware of the lies that worry is telling them because that's what it does with, with high school kids. I'll call it the worry whisperer. But, but I think to separate it out, not only then as a parent, you can start to say, Sounds like gloops back to me or your worry monsters back when it all of a sudden morphs, like we're talking about developmentally, it shifts from, you know, she was afraid of storms and now she's afraid to get on a plane. So sounds like gloops back to me. What did you do last time that helped? Because the same tools work, like we talked about, whatever form it takes. And so it objectifies it in a really helpful way, reduces its power and helps kids remember, I've beaten worry before. I can beat worry, whatever form, whatever context it's showing up with right now. Right. I love that so much. So I um, I was just thinking that when you just said that last sentence, um, I have a little bit of anxiety, obviously, because of like my past and just trauma and post being cancer free. Um, but I had a therapist tell me one time, you know, trauma and anxiety are never going to fully go away. And that was like freeing to understand that she said to me, but when you realize that it's back and you recognize it and you have the tools to conquer it again, it doesn't seem like you can't defeat it. Yes. And so I feel like that's like the monster's back probably it might be coming back it might come back again but now we have the tools to know how to get rid of it and it makes it exactly reduces its power and it makes it less it almost reduces the anxiety that you have because you're like I've conquered this before I can conquer it again and that's like right but to understand that from a kid's level it's the same so I think that yes and Sarah that the reason you even struggled with it is because you're bright and kind and conscientious and you care, you know, and, and I think to help kids understand that, that it's these amazing parts of who God made you to be mm-hmm. is exactly why you struggle with it. And so we want to live in the place that it really means that you're gifted in so many amazing ways. And it just trips you up every once in a while, like for all of us, the places mm-hmm. that we're gifted, you know, the flip side's a curse sometimes. And so I think to help kids, because so often they think something's really wrong with me and that it's the reverse. It's okay. that something is really amazing about you. Well, that's that's, that's an important, important message because <clears throat> anxiety and trauma can feel so lonely. Yes. Oh, what's wrong with me? I think that's such an important message for kids and adults. 
Yeah, I'm glad um, we're talking about this. I don't yes. know if I, you know, I mean, yeah. I encourage their gifts all the time, but that it's... Other people mm-hmm. have gloop monsters. I like <laughs> gloop. I like them <laughs> that makes it feel like not a scary guy. That's yes. so sweet. Yes. This is like gold so, information, Sissy. Thank you I so know. much. Okay, I have one more thing about anxiety and one more question um, okay. before we move on to another topic. Let's talk about right before bedtime because Charlotte is not as old as Ruthie. Um, but she's four and a half, almost five, and she's all about her emotions. But I've no bedtime is very, very hard for us, even still. Um, mm. it's it's a long process. She, I can tell she anticipates the next day. Like she'll ask me, and I know toddlers ask a lot of questions, but she'll ask me, "Am I going to school tomorrow? Um, when are you picking me up from school? What are we having for breakfast?" It's just like this laundry list of like I can tell she's anticipating the next day, and and sometimes you know mm-hmm. it, it's comforting her about the next day, and she's <laughs> anxious. So, you've you've even on your Instagram for people that follow you, if you've um, recently posted also about this, there's some tools that you talk about muscle relaxation or the, yes. Yeah. What are those? I want to know what Sarah just Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm tired. Yes. And that's, <laughs> I bet. And it's, I mean, you're exactly right. Kids come up with these elaborate, either they have a million questions because you're right. They're just trying to settle all of it in their little minds or they create these routines that you say this and then they say that and you have to turn off the light at this moment. And if you don't, it, at this point in the script, then you even have to start all over. Right. And, you know, they're just such fascinating little creatures because what all of that is, I'm so sorry, my little therapy assistant dog is barking in the background. But what all of that <laughs> is, love. is that, thank you, that they have, that those are coping strategies. You know, they, even her asking questions she doesn't know what coping strategies are really yet. And so her gathering information or her coming up with this elaborate routine at bedtime, that helps her feel settled. And that's why she has to stick to it. And that's why she's asking you every single question other than I do think so. I mean, I just helped put my little toddler nephew to bed last night and he had so many questions that I don't think were anxiety based. I think it was stalling techniques. (laughs) So that happens too, for sure. So I have two favorite techniques for bedtime besides progressive muscle relaxation that you said. That's a great one where you tense and relax muscles kind of gradually down your body. But one of my other ones with kids that I think they feel like it's fun because it's so imaginative is called the three doors technique. And you mentioned that. But basically, you have them in a calmer moment pick three of their favorite places that they feel really safe. And it has to be three places that they know well. Sometimes they'll pick some house they've been to once, and that's not helpful. So usually like a grandparent's house or Disney World or, you know, it can be anywhere. So what they do is basically they walk in the first door of that first location. And we kind of go back to that sensory idea of they look to the right and what do they see everywhere on the right? Like every little bitty detail, what do they hear? What do they smell? You know, and they look all around that room and then they walk into the next room and they do the same thing and basically walk through the whole property of whatever the first door is. So Disney World would take a really long time, which would be great. So, you know, through the whole thing, then they walk out, then they go in the second one, walk out, do the third, same thing with each door. And most kids will say to me, they never even make it to the third door. And mm-hmm. because it's a place they feel safe, they love, oh, it's kind of this involved, so yeah, grounding technique, it helps them relax and fall asleep. And Another one I read about recently that they use in the military when they're actually in active duty is 
it's called 478. And the, statistically, it's 95% effective, which is amazing. But people have to practice it for six weeks. And that's true. Anything anxiety related, we are creating new neural pathways. And so everything requires practice. So mm. that one is you, basically you breathe in for four seconds, you hold it for seven, and then you let it out for eight. And when you let it out, you're supposed to make a whoosh kind of sound. Mm-hmm. I've Which, done hey, this I kind of breathing that. before. They teach really? This kind of, they teach this kind of breathing actually in like hypnobirthing. <laughs> oh, I know wow. it's funny, but yeah, like when I, like when you're like, I was planning on like giving birth and like, you're trying to keep your heart rate low and you're trying to keep yes. calm and all of this stuff. And it's so crazy. I did this breathing when I was in labor, when my son's heart rate was up, this is with Sam, not with John Ryder, mm-hmm. but his heart rate was high and they were putting me on the monitors and it was like an intense situation. And I did this type of breathing and my heart rate went down and his heart rate went down. Wow. Isn't that crazy. That's, That's so cool. Uh, but I didn't know about it until I learned this technique in, I guess, a hypnobirthing class of some sort. And I still think it's so effective. It's so, uh, yeah, but nice. I, I love all of these are very practical, like things that you can do. And I didn't realize it was something you really needed to practice. I know that's yes. a silly thing for me to say, but like, it makes sense that it would be something you need all of these things, probably yeah. even the, vi- the practice of visualization in the three doors, like takes practice yes. to get better. Yes. At it. Um, and yeah. it's interesting. You said the six weeks, because I think you think in our minds, it's like, oh, we can do this once it's better, but you're right. I did EMDR and I think I did that for six weeks wow. and they had told me at the beginning, you're going to feel not great for the first sessions, but session four five six you know like as you as you keep training your brain because that's kind of neurological therapy too yeah sure you know all about emdr yeah but um you're retraining your brain and so so do you feel like if if we're doing this with a child that has severe anxiety at bedtime we will see results right away but you're saying like after six weeks it's that's really gonna it, start to like change Yes, that's when the the article that I read said it was that it was ninety five percent effective was okay. after six Within weeks. Six weeks. Mm. six weeks. Yes, and I read somewhere it takes new neural pathways a month to develop. But really, mm. the number one reason in my office in research says that people don't work through anxiety is they don't practice the skills. Mm. And yeah, and I do think it's because it takes a little bit. Yes. Yeah, that is so, such important advice and practical. I love this. Thank you, Sissy. Yes. Y'all are so sweet. Myself and my daughter. So <laughs> Good. Hey, guys. We are excited to share with you our new partnership with Your Superfoods. Not only do they have great tasting product, but they are on a mission to help improve people's health through the power of plants. I fell in love with their superfood and plant protein mixes after I was diagnosed and started my lifestyle change. One of the founders is also a cancer survivor, which is why I came across their story. I make a ton of smoothies and my daughter Charlotte loves them too. Your Superfoods is 100% plant-based, no sweeteners, no soy, no dairy, gluten-free, and non-GMO. So you can purchase with our code. Sister15, and you will receive 15% off your purchase, any purchase, not just your first one. So go to yoursuper.com and use the code Sister15 
S-I-S-T-E-R-1-5, for 15% off your order. Go grab your superfoods. Well, in the beginning, we were talking about how Sarah and I both have firstborn daughters who are anxious and strong-willed, and we love them more than life itself. But we have to know how to... We're, we're struggling with guiding their bossiness versus their leadership. So, <laughs> bossy, saucy. <laughs> bossy, saucy. So, yes. you know, and sometimes with other people, like, I'm like, I always say, we're the, not everyone wants to play the way you want to play, you know, because then she's upset that nobody's doing it her way. And I'm like, man, that would be really mm-hmm. frustrating. I totally understand. I'd be frustrated too. However, you know. And for yes. For Good Charlotte, for you. I want to, like, encourage her. Like, I always, I never want to squash her her strength. Like I want to encourage her leadership and just like who she is, but how do you train the bossiness? Like, how do you, how do you, how do you like encourage that little I'm fire sure inside of her, the confidence? Yeah. I'm sure we can't solve that in like one question, but you can give us just like <laughs> one tip of advice. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I would say practice. I mean, I think often initially a child who has some leadership abilities, is just going to come off bossy. And so I think, especially if it's with a sibling, we don't want to obviously embarrass them in front of friends, but I think one of the best phrases of parenting is try again. You know, why don't you try and say that a little bit differently? And I I understand that you're frustrated or I understand that it's hard to share. I understand whatever it is, like you were saying, kind of identifying their feelings still, but why don't you try and say that a different way? Or, and I think to try to really layer in a lot of empathy. I think empathy is always going to offset bossiness. And so how do you think that child, how do you think that person felt when you said that that way? How Mm -hmm. could you have said it differently? Where we're not only practicing, but we're helping them take the other person's perspective and what it might feel like to be them in that moment. Because I think they're, you know, those kids who are leaders are really Mm well-intentioned, but they just often don't understand the impact their words are going to have on somebody else. And that's good life, life tools to be able to put yourself in someone else's shoes. So, yes. Yeah. And I feel like the more, try again. Yeah. The try again. And the more we do like life on screens and things like that, they, they lose their empathy for kids. Right. Cause like it's like online bullying stuff comes from, cause you're not seeing how it affects other people. Yes. So we have, We have a book called Are My Kids on Track that is that we, David and Melissa and I, two of my coworkers that I think y'all know both of them probably too. And we talked about the four emotional, four social and four spiritual milestones that we felt like all kids needed to reach and weren't to a greater degree than ever before. And empathy is one of them. And Mm -hmm. so we talk about 10 practical ideas to help build, to help hit every milestone. But one of the things in there that we talk about that I think is awesome is, I don't know if y'all are on common sense media, but it's a great resource for parents about all things media driven, whether it's, Mm. can my child watch this TV show to what's this movie like to this video game? I mean, anything. And they have empathy building games for kids on screens. Oh, wow. That the kids, yeah, the little characters have bigger eyes than usual where it's easier to read their emotions, you know, things like that, that I think can be so helpful for them. And they're doing something they want to do. They're playing a game. Yeah, that's awesome. So while we're on the subject of phones, can we, can we chat about, this is like a big struggle with parents these days. And I'm sure everybody's like, when should I give my kids a phone? Like how's, (laughs) screen time like I just did vacation with like three other couple 
friends who also have kids and we were like, oh, too much screen time. What do we do? But how do we talk to each other? So it's this constant struggle of like the life we live in our day and age of technology. So what do you say to parents that like what's too much screen time? How do you like how can you because I I really have had moments where I've taken the phone away and it's like full on meltdown. It's like, oh, I don't want to build this like this just need for a screen like we didn't grow mm-hmm. up that way like go in no. the backyard and make a mud pie like those days are right. those days over how do we no. <laughs> help us yeah yes okay yeah i mean american academy of pediatrics until i think it was 2018 said i mean it was like under the age of 18 they were supposed to have two hours a day i can't remember exactly and then but it was like no screen time till two. And then, I mean, they had this graduated system of how much kids were supposed to have. And in 2018, they changed it all. And now they say less than two hours under the age of six per day. And above that, it's up to the parent's discretion, which I think that feels interesting to me because it's not like the brain chemistry of kids have changed. It's just our degree of addiction I think to technology has changed Mm -hmm. and after six I feel like like my kids are seven and four and they I mean they don't have a ton like they get bored after a while like two hours is a lot for them a lot but like after six is that what the pediatric uh, that is that what they said after six yes yeah Mm -hmm. like after that I feel like you could get sucked in yeah you're like I feel like that's where you need yeah Yeah. I think that's where you need better boundaries guidelines yeah yes yes I am a big fan of I mean two different things even that y'all are talking about I mean one is that maybe you give them x amount of screen time per day whatever you feel comfortable with as a family I mean maybe it's 30 minutes or an hour if you need the extra help and time but then You start smaller and then they can earn more screen time based on even like playing outside or doing chores or different things so that they're working towards it Yeah, and they can lose it. You know, Mm -hmm. if you melt down when I tell you it's time to turn the Xbox off, then you're going to get 15 minutes less tomorrow. Yeah. So that they're seeing the connection between I can't just lose it emotionally because that is typically a sign that they need less. Mm-hmm. They're melting down every time. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that those those would be kind of big picture ideas. And what I say to parents in terms of, I mean, I, the magic question is always like, at what age do I let my child have a phone? Yeah. You know, whatever it is, yeah. an iPad, a phone, their first email account. What age do we let them get on social media? All of those things. Oh, and what media, I yeah. Yeah. What I tell parents is you don't want to be the first to hit every technological advancement because those kids are often going to be perceived as kind of cutting edge or fast as the word we used to would have used. And you don't want your kids to be perceived that way in their peer group. But I also think if you're the last to let them do every single thing, I think Mm -hmm. those kids often will buck the system and rebel. Oh, and so wow. mm, I good. jokingly say to parents, be the next to last, you know, like yeah. you, <laughs> yeah. you want to stay really abreast of the culture your kids are living in and, you know, be kind of moderate in it. And if it really does, I mean, every child is going to say everyone else in my class has blank. Right. And most of the time it's not true, but if you find out it really is, then it's probably time to look at doing whatever it is that they're asking for. That's yeah. really good. I've heard a lot of like teen kid moms with like 
team saying, well, we need to give her the phone for safety. It's like a safety mm-hmm. thing so I can get in yes. touch with them. Well, they have lots of phones now for kids that don't have social Enable. like screen time though it's just right like, like i think it's called the get digit what's it uh, maybe you know sissy but it's like it just calls like mom dad and grandma yes so i know that's, exactly what you're talking about i don't know the name which is really smart and i have something that's, that's helpful too i mean i work with picky eating kids like yeah um, and so it's kind of like the same when they tantrum about food or something is when they tantrum about screen time and so with food uh instead of saying well we're not having that today or you've had too much sugar or whatever shame 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 uh, I like to encourage the phrase, um, well, that's not on the menu today. So it's not like, yeah, it's not like good. whatever. And so I, I do the same thing. Charlotte. Yeah. I love that phrase. Oh, well, it's, it should be on the menu tomorrow. <laughs> if you want to put it on the menu tomorrow, you know, yeah. rather than, um, it being like a shame thing. But I feel like we use a, kind of a similar phrase with screen time where I say, well, that's not the plan for this afternoon. Our screen mm-hmm. time is planned for the morning. And then they're like, oh, well, if it's not in the plan, then we can't change it. And so they don't question it yet, you know? <laughs> That's good. So it's yes. Not on the agenda. It's not on the agenda. It's not on the plan. We planned to go outside today instead. And so far, they don't question that phrase yet. Which I, like. I love yeah. that. Um, okay. Since we're talking about, like, giving kids phone, what age to do that, um, I'm pretty getting pretty close to, like, having the sex talk probably with my daughter maybe in the next year or two, I yeah. think. Um, and so like, what age are we like, it's been a long time since I, like we've had, like, since we've had that conversation, Did like, we even have- I don't know, like, I, again, our parents said things differently than we are doing now, which is Grassland Elementary showed us a video. And we <laughs> life. Right. And we so were like, like, what, what age are kids finding out? Like, I want to beat my a kid to the punch. I don't want her to find out at school. You know what I mean? Like, right. Exactly. We have, I this love conversation. that. Yeah. You know, my two favorite voices on that are okay. Stan and Brenna Jones. Okay. And they are a married couple. I think one's a psychologist and one's an educator. And they would say it's really honestly never too young. Mm. Um, now, I, I don't know that you, I mean, I, I think it's never too young. I would say if your kids are asking questions, because in all things, you want your kids to feel like you're the source of information Mm -hmm. and you're a trusted source. And so I think whatever it's about, your kids always need to feel like you're going to tell them the truth age appropriately. And so if they come to you with questions, then that's when I think you want to start talking about it age appropriately with them. And what I love about Stan and Brenna Jones is they have a book for parents. That's how to talk to your kids about sex. But they also have a series of books for kids at every developmental stage that's on God. I think it's God's design for sex. And you can buy them at Amazon. Yes. And so it's like a picture book with young kids that you look through, you know, if a sibling's coming and they're all of a sudden saying, wait, how did the baby get in your stomach or, you know, whatever it is that's coming up and then a little bit older. But I would say you definitely want to find out when your school is addressing it, if your school is addressing it, and you want to beat them to the punch. And I think, you know, I mean, really, I feel like we weren't doing it till sixth grade. I think now it's getting younger and younger and younger. And I think third, fourth grade, I just don't think it's too young. And especially because statistically the age girls are starting periods Mm -hmm. is dropping younger and younger and younger. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so I think we've just got to beat all of that to the punch so that we remain the trusted source with kids. Absolutely. Yeah. I read that too somewhere where it's like when you have the sex talk, you need to not jump around it or use 
you know, words that aren't, you need to look like, you know, exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Saying, this goes here. That goes there. This is yes. so that they anatomically correct you. words. Yeah. Yes. Right. So that they feel comfortable asking you and like, they don't PP, see you. Oh, mom's in, yeah. no, they're right. like, not, if they're like, oh, mom's embarrassed then they're not going to want to ask questions. But if, cause so, yeah, I read the thing where it's like, you don't want to associate shame. You just like say how it is. And yeah. it's like, yeah. Yeah. how God designed it. We're going to, we'll plug that book in our show notes. Yeah. People right. that like to have that age children. That's such great advice. Right. Um, it's hard to be a parent. We're so grateful for Sissy. Mm. <laughs> read, read, no. yeah, read all of Sissy's books. Sissy, we're going to wrap up. I feel like we could talk to you forever, but could you give one short piece of encouragement to moms and dads out there um, that are raising young children? It can be as vague as like, hang in there, but just give Mm. us, give us the one. We always like to have a guest leave, like leave us on an encouraging note. Mm -hmm. So yeah, y'all are so funny. I I mean, it's interesting because watching parents navigate this pandemic, um, you know, I feel like it is, I mean, it's harder to be a parent than it's ever been anyway. I mean, even if we just took technology, I think that makes it harder to parent than it's ever been. But now we've got this anxiety epidemic. Now we've literally got a pandemic on top of it. And I've never seen parents as weary and discouraged as I feel like parents are now. On that note, I would agree with you. And I think it's also encouraging to say, hey, we're all weary. Yes. We can all do this. Mm-hmm. It's not just sometimes you feel like you're alone in parenting and like you're just like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think social media, that's the one thing good about social media is that there's a group, group of moms out there that are like trying to encourage each other. Yeah. Exactly. I think you're exactly right. Yes. And I think that's that's something to think about is, is where can you be locked on with social media that you're not comparing yourself and feeling more discouraged, but you're receiving encouragement is so yeah. important. But, but I think just to know, I mean, I, I heard Dean Allender is a psychologist that I love and I saw him speak a couple years ago and he said something that I thought was so interesting. He said, your children are one of the only relationships in your life that you don't get to pick. And basically what that means is, to me, is that somebody smarter than all of us picked for you. Mm -hmm. And they knew you were the right parent for each of your kids, even the child that's most challenging to you right Mm -hmm. now. They knew you were the parent. God knew you were the parent that was needed. And even in 2021, you know, I mean, he knew what Mm -hmm. was going to come your child's way right now. And so you have what it takes for the season. And you do need voices that are encouraging you. And you need to do the things that help you, I mean, I just feel like I talk to parents all the time about self-care because we give out of an overflow of what we're receiving. And so if we're running on empty, we don't have anything to give. And so whatever it looks like for you to be taking walks and spending time with friends and going on dates with your spouse and watching Ted Lasso or, you know, just any of yes, the things that fill so you back up right now. Ted Lasso encouragement for yes. the 2020. Okay. <laughs> I love that so much because that's honestly... I always feel like Charlotte's watching everything I do. And if she sees me depleted and overworked and, you know, working, 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 and even with like my career, but also just like overworked and spent, like, that's not a message I want for her life. Like I want her to understand like self-care is a valuable thing. And if mom spends time to work on it, she can too. Yeah. So I love that. Amazing advice, Sissy. Thank you so much thank for being so with much. us. You are um, so skilled at communication and calming mm-hmm. our nerves and um, giving 
practical advice. And so we, this is a gift to us today. Thank you so much. Well, y'all are so fun to get to talk with. Yeah, and no, we'll I'm, hope to see you soon. Thank you so yes. much. Probably show up in your waiting room here. <laughs> I love that. I love it. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank y'all. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Also, make sure to check out our Amazon show, store. Thank you.